0: Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm delighted to say I'm here with Bruno Signaco. He is the author of The Art of Compassionate Business, Main Principles for Human-Oriented Enterprise. Bruno, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. I feel very honored. Thank you for the invite.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, All the way from East London, not Italy, as your accent might suggest.
1: Yes, yes. I'm Italian Argentinian, but I'm living in London for nearly 12 years.
0: Right. Uh, well, we're glad to have you on, these, uh, on this island.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I feel very honored. Thank you.
0: And I suppose what drew me, drew me to the book is um, the, the fact that you use this word, love, uh, which we tend to reserve for, in the main, I suppose, for our familial or our, mainly our romantic connections, certainly in the English language. And you're applying it in a business context and context. In fact, many chapters in the book are, are, are about this idea of love in the workplace. So, so true. Yeah. How did you arrive at, uh, yeah, this idea of talking about love in the workplace? And what do you mean by love, I suppose?
1: Good, 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 good question. So what I want to say is that we're not talking about the, the, the a very narrow connotation of love for example, love that you feel for your partners, your family, your friends. This is a sentimental connotation of love. Here I'm talking about a much wider connotation of love, a more humanistic one, which implies compassion, empathy, support, care, generosity. And this can be applied to business relationship and non-business one. For example, when a when a seller is uh, recommending a good product to a customer, not the product is good for the company, but the product that is good for this specific customer, this seller is behaving in a compassionate way, in a loving way. And by doing so, this customer is more prone to come back and even recommend this company to other customers. So in this case, we are applying love to customer service or to selling. And selling not from the perspective of marketing, but from the perspective of service, providing customer with a good
0: service. Right, and and I guess what's your background? Because we were talking before we came on air that had you get to a place where you're, you know, you're writing about love in the workplace. Yeah, yes. in a bit
1: briefly about myself. I want to comment, and uh, I'm a lecturer at different university. I'm also a consultant for many years uh, regarding business modules, uh, a university and international marketing in consultancy, and also I have been researching on business and also personal development, in some cases, for a long time. And what I observed, a long time ago, I read an article that was titled uh, The Human Moment at Work. This was published in Harvard Business Review, and they commented about the connection within a company, connection between employees and connection between employees and external stakeholders. And this author observed that technology hindered the connection between employees, between themselves, but also between employees and stakeholders. And they observed that that there should be more human moments at work. I was surprised by this article and I wanted to know more. And I started the long process of research that was coronated by my new book, The Art of Compassionate Business. And I observed that there are some principles that are timeless. I call this perennial principle. This means that are principle that can be applied today and in 20 years time, for example, Principles that are compassion, so uh, to be compassionate with different stakeholders. Another principle is to be generous with different stakeholders. Another principle is to be grateful with different stakeholders. And over this conversation, I will give different examples of how to apply these principles. This principle can be applied to any business activity, to any sector, and any size of company.
0: Right. And so you... You came across these principles in your in your research, sparked by that Harvard Business Review article and what I suppose what were the early stories or the early inspiration as you started this the, yeah the, the, this this passion project i suppose the,
1: the early story is that I work as a consultant for more than twenty years, and Sorry, I was, you, you you worked as working a consultant. as a consultant as a consultant yeah, in international yeah. marketing. And I was uh, advising companies, so for example, on international marketing strategies, export-import activities, international investment, among others, and also uh, intercultural negotiation, among other topics. What I observed that I was using a very traditional way of uh, approaching business. For example, developing strategies, for example, helping companies uh, prepare their budget, or for example, developing products according to customer needs, this is what any business book will comment about, the traditional way to talk about business. But I observed that this is a way of approaching business that can be a bit outdated. Why? Because they try to focus only on what can be measured, what can be counted, such as profits, market share, sales. And this dismiss the qualitative aspect of business, what cannot be measured, what cannot be counted. For example, companionship, care, support, compassion, empathy, and both are important. Why? Because I observe that business is about relationships. If you nurture relationships in a very effective way over time, this will bring about success in business. The companies are more prone to achieve what we call key performance indicators, such as profitability, productivity, efficiency. Many companies instead focus on achieving this indicator without caring for relationships. And this is wrong. Why? Because these indicators are always the natural result of the interaction between a company and its stakeholders. And no company, I always tell when I train some clients, no company can succeed on their own. Company needs suppliers, need employees, need customers, need community members. We need to nurture this relationship. And this relationship should be mutually beneficial, win win no party should win at the expense of others. So when a company nurtures this relationship, this key performance indicator, profitability, productivity, tend to improve naturally, organically. So what I observed, I wanted to comment about this, that then uh, I turned into much more a human-oriented advisory and consultancy because I observed that companies were focusing only on profit. And my approach, a much more modern approach, uh, because I consider that our approach is much more outdated, is that it's focusing on the triple bottom line, not only on profits that are very important for business survival and success, but also on people, people like customers, suppliers, employees, community members, business partners, but also on the planet. This means sustainable aspect of business, which implies recycling, caring for the environment, using renewable energy, uh, Uh, renewable sources of energy among other aspects so a much wider approach on business a much more humanistic approach on business with care for business aspect of of business activities and also the human aspect of business activities which means relationship because the building brick of any business project is relationship so it's very important
0: right can you give me an example from your work where you've seen this in action and you've seen a difference being made by adopting one well, or well i i systems. I
1: am advising some companies and for example uh, during this challenging time that we all know that we have with all this pandemic, I observed that some companies are very tend to be very rigid with employees so for example, in some cases they prompt employees to go to office even when it's not necessary everything can be done from home but I observed that some companies care for employees and in this way they try to offer flexible uh, work hours. In some cases they allow employees to work from home. In some cases because employees are challenged with child care, they allow employees to, for example, work with their children around. Even in some meetings, I saw this in person. So the idea is that it's important to understand that when we care for each of these stakeholders there is a very interesting principle in social psychology that is called The law of reciprocity. According to this principle, uh, when a person treats others in a loving way, in a compassionate, in a caring way, this person tends to reciprocate. They tend to act alike. So in this case, these employees that were cared for for by this company tend to support the company in a much more unconditional way. Why? Because they feel acknowledged. They feel recognized. They feel recognized as legitimate beings with needs that need to be satisfied. So this is very important because business is not only about rational aspect like setting objectives or trying to achieve this objective in the most effective way. People decide rational aspect, they have emotional aspect, physical aspect, spiritual aspect, social aspect in general. So we have to address individual in a much more holistic way, not only in a compartmentalized way that implies the role or the job position should be much more a uh, wider approach. This means the human being in a complete way. But this what uh, this is not very common in business activity because you see companies only that they talk about a topic that are only business topics. They don't, they don't allow employees to talk about personal topics or emotional issues that they might have. And this tend to be very limited way of communicating with different stakeholders.
0: Right, okay. Um and you just mentioned there uh, you just you just mentioned uh you just mentioned talking uh, about these uh, these people who had come in from uh f- had their kids in in the workplace. In right? the
1: workplace. Yes, yes, They're allowed to have, for example, a, one client of mine allow the employees to have, for example, they have small children, they allow uh, the children to be because they, in some cases they cannot get childcare, or so it's very challenging. Uh they got the children around and all people are very understanding in, in those meetings. At those meetings. So the idea is that this is a much broader approach. We are not only caring for work, which is very important, but we're caring for the individual. The individual is the one that will help us achieve our objective. We don't have to forget this. Many companies forget that it's all about the human being because human beings are the ones developing new products. Human beings are the ones serving others. Human beings like customers are the one bringing profit to our companies. Human beings like community members are the one bringing resources to a company. So and human being like suppliers are the ones providing with raw material. So it's all about the human being. And the, uh, Stephen Covey, the famous author, observed that it's all about interdependence. Companies are interdependent. No company can thrive on its own. No company can succeed by itself. And I like to paraphrase a very interesting philosopher that observed, "No man is an island." I would like to paraphrase this thinker: "No company is an island. No company can succeed on its own. They need the community support. They need support from employees. They need support from customers and suppliers and business partners, and even the media and the government. So uh, this network of uh, relationship is what nurtures business activities." Instead of focusing so much on business indicator or business figures, let's try to consider much more carefully the relationship. How can we nurture this relationship? How can we develop win-win agreements? I see few companies in the past that tend to satisfy the needs of only few stakeholders. I'll give you an example. There was a company that was producing furniture in the past and they were producing high quality furniture The furniture was very, very well priced. Employees were very well paid. So the customer were satisfied, very important stakeholder. The employees were satisfied because they were paid very good salary, but they were polluting the environment. So in that case, a very important stakeholder, the community members, were not satisfied because the environment was polluted. The company has a lot of waste thrown in the river, and so it didn't look good. So even customers were satisfied, even employees were satisfied. So all relevant stakeholders, and I want to define stakeholders as individuals and groups with interest in an organization, should be having their meets, needs met. So this means that no stakeholder should be left aside.
0: Right. But I am suppose if I'm playing devil's advocate here and I'm th- thinking about... The company that cares for its, let's say in this example of this furniture manufacturer, maybe there's two two manufacturers on the river of uh, furniture. One cares about its environmental impact and puts in place uh, systems to take care of that, but takes on the cost of that. Whereas another one further down the river decides not to do that, doesn't have the cost, uh, is more profitable. Over time can invest in more equipment and expanding its operations, uh, maybe even having more competitive pricing and over time, that company w- wins in the marketplace because it it doesn't have to care for its external assets It's
1: possible this is a possible hypothesis, but I will say that a new generation of customers, especially millennial generation third and a new generation of customers, but also the traditional customer previous generation are caring more for the environment. There is a growing number of customers that are caring for the environment. So when they have the option of choosing two companies, in some cases, even when they have to pay a bit more for a a product like furniture that is highly priced, a customer will understand that they might be contributing indirectly to improve the environment if they buy product from a company that is socially conscious. So if the company is having developing a Green activity, for example, having systems that are environmentally friendly, this company not only will be having a better image, brand image in the the marketplace, but also will be attracting better talented people. So this means that will be a magnet for talented people. Instead, of the other company that is not caring for the for the environment, if discovered by the media, not only will be publicizing in a negative way, what will be difficult then to revert this image. But also in some cases, when the community member discovers that this, comu- this community is being affected by this non-environmentally friendly activity, are likely to boycott the company. There are many cases of companies that are not environmentally friendly that have been boycotted by this means that customers go against this company. And you see a very important movements and non-governmental organizations like Greenpeace that have a very important pressure over big companies, big companies that have to revert their activities or they have to change their course of action why because they exerted a lot of pressure on media and so they are in some cases this non-governmental organization they have equal power as compared for example with some countries some small countries so because they are global so business is also about brand image brand image implies that how you are perceiving the market by different customers if you are perceived as a as a company that neglects the the environment, that is careless, that is not socially conscious. Well, some customers might buy because they're focusing only on cost and low price. But uh, the the big community will be affected. And it's possible that there will be some demonstration or people protesting about this. We don't want to resist because when the image of this company is tainted, it's very difficult to revert. So I will say that when the company is environmentally friendly, they're not only caring for the environment, itself, what is very important, the triple bottom line, a profit, people, planet, but also they have a long term view. This means what we call sustainable business. We're not caring only for profit, we're not caring only for people, but we're caring for future generations. We have a meaningful mission, a meaningful purpose. And as I mentioned, research observed that companies with a meaningful purpose tend to attract better suppliers, better employees, Much more conscious customers that tend to be more loyal because they are not focusing only on price. Price is a very whimsical variable. If you put the price low, obviously many customers will come to you, but other other suppliers can do the same. And then the customer might switch from your company to others. Instead, having a conscious approach on business is a much more sustainable competitive advantage, which means that you tend to differentiate from others, not only focus on price, but in much higher value uh, variables
0: right right the other thing you talk about in the book um, is this idea of of natural conversations can you talk a bit more about that
1: i love this topic uh, this topic so i devoted the full chapter natural conversation what let's define what is a traditional conversation and what is a natural conversation traditional conversation in business is goal-oriented it's quantitative by nature they talk about things that can be measured like a budget, for example a thing that for example expenditures a balance sheet income statement but also profit market share sales everything quantitative and in business conversation in most cases people are being taken as a means to an end so for example if i am an employee i want to talk to my colleague i will talk to my colleague not to know him or herself i will talk to this employee to for them to help me develop this budget, uh, so this person will be a means to an end, to achieve my goals. The same happens with manager and subordinate. So this is a very restrictive way of communicating. And also, we have that in in business environment and work environments, uh, employees and different stakeholders, they cannot convey their emotions. So the business conversation are non-emotional. It's like the emotions do not exist. There are a few companies that are taking a new approach and they're using an approach what we call emotional intelligence that allow employees to express their emotion, to feel vulnerable, to express their worries or concern, and also in some cases to look for support, emotional support. But in most cases, emotion tends to be like a disturbing factor in business. We have to concentrate, focus, multitask if possible. Uh, most of the business environments are very hectic. People do not have time to know each other. And they're focusing on roles and hierarchy. This means that I do not know you as a person. I know you only as you are the manager, or you are the the customer service officer, or you are the CEO. But this is a facade. Behind the facade or beyond the facade, there is a person that is unlikely to be met. Why? Because we're focusing only on the role. These roles work like a mask. Mask that uh, obviously hide the real person and you cannot know emotional aspect, physical aspect, hobbies, pastimes, family aspect of this person. The only times that company can allow employees to know on a personal level is when they have, for example, Christ- Christmas meeting, for example, when they end the year and they want to celebrate, that they let their hair down and they allow them to communicate in a much more casual way. But it's very limited. So, and many companies have very tight deadlines. They do not allow employees even... I saw companies that have one meeting after the other. And how you can meet others even virtually now if you have no time to meet? So and in business, there is a very interesting principle that is a negative principle we call abnegation. Work hard. You try to meet all the deadlines. Don't get distracted. Don't waste time. Get always focused. Do not allow... Don't even allow yourself to relax try to be always focused and people tend to get stressed, lot of burnout and people cannot meet with one another so my advice in the book natural conversation is the opposite and implies getting a much wider approach and when we're talking to one another this person is the end it's not the mean to an end It's the end itself some philosopher like Kant uh, Observe is that we don't have to take people as the mean to an end. We have to take them as the end. We want to know them well. We want to know their worries, their concern. We share a common humanity. We all have fears. We have expectations. We have hopes. We have dreams. We have setbacks. We have. We succeeded in the past too, and we have to. We have this common ground that is helping us communicate with one another. An emotion should be allowed because when emotions are suppressed or repressed, they tend to come out in a very negative way. They tend to cloud our discernment. They tend to, for example, uh, make us less creative. In some cases, they they take us to places that we don't want to go. So natural conversation implies taking into account the the wider approach on human being. This means they are not only roles, they are people with all these common factors, our self-humanity.
0: Right, right. And then related to that, uh, you talk a lot in the book about passion. So how do you distinguish love and passion? Passion, Why is it important?
1: Passion is connected to love because when you're passionate, you do something that generally when you're passionate about something, is something that you love. Uh, And passion in business could be connected to a meaningful purpose, a meaningful mission. So passion is the driver that helps companies and entrepreneurs and business people to achieve their objective. Is the, the, the fuel that allows people to go ahead, to continue to keep on going, even when they have challenges. So I, I feel that this is very important because in business, many people believe that it's a straight line. You go from point A to B. This is unlikely. You have a lot of challenges. It's a zigzag line. So you will have a lot of challenges. Customer that might leave your company, employee that will go to another company, supplier that won't meet the requirement. So all these challenges uh, tend to appear in, even in big companies, but we, we're, when we're passionate, we take these um, these problems or inconveniences as opportunities to improve. What we can learn from this? A passionate person will say to themselves, I, I have some problems. How can we do better in the future? Always we focus on uh, the big mission and also the big picture, what we call vision, the business uh, vision. But also a passion uh, is implies that we are focused on what is important. We don't focus on things that are uh, outside, for example, our meaningful mission. So when we're passionate, we try to uh, take our time to uh, achieve this mission and also not getting distracted. We're not getting distracted by, uh, for example, activities that are not related to this mission. doesn't mean that we cannot have a spare time, but we are mainly focused on uh, and this means that when you're passionate, the time flies. You When you're passionate, you enter a state of what a Venice researcher called flow or the thong. This means that time so, appears thong. To, sorry. <laughs> the thong, the thong. Thong or uh, flow. This means that it's a... I'm thinking thong the, means
0: flip-flop that Australians wear or the, the, uh, the... Thong, thong,
1: thong, thong, for O-N-E, thong. Oh,
0: oh uh t what t o n e No,
1: thong thong for th- for thorough
0: like okay
1: thorough th- so say well the, the the flow state that was researched let's call this flow this easier uh this flow state is a state where you are uh, obviously focused on the objectives time tend to fly you don't you're not aware of the time you are giving your full potential and in this state you tend to go ahead uh, and you tend to achieve higher objective without you re- realizing. So this is the state that many athletes achieve when, for example, uh, getting into a competition. They, they are very uh, self-conscious uh, of the objectives and also, but not uh, they're not distracted. They are, they're fully focused. Passion is also about um, being emotionally resilient. This means that... Uh, When you have some uh, negative uh, occurrences or some situation that didn't work well, you approach this from a perspective of temperance. Means you get this cool, you cool down a bit, you try to analyze what worked not so well, and then you go back to to on track and you try to keep on uh, working on the achievement of this objective. So, emotional temperance is very important and emotional intelligence, but also this means. Passionate people are action driven. This means that they tend to focus on not only planning, what is very important, but in some cases, you can plan excessively. This means you're over, over planning, over analyzing. You tend to focus on actions that are achieving even small gains, actions that help you achieve this object. So, this is a very brief definition of passion.
0: I like that. And it, it... It has me think about this you know it's almost a fad right now is how do we achieve resilience in organizations and people often talk about you know sustainable you know, how do we have sustainable workload you know do do we make time for mindfulness and you know and and so on and and you have know, sort of techniques to manage the stress but what you're saying is interesting here is that if you're passionate, then you will naturally be resilient to the knock be because, the yeah, because what you're doing is meaningful. It's
1: meaningful and also you love what you do, but love from the wider perspective. This means that it's connected to you. You are giving yourself out to this activity. You are unfolding yourself fully to perform this activity. You are not leaving anything inside you. You are giving yourself fully from the energetic perspective, emotional perspective, mental perspective. And so you are more prone to connect to these activities and these goals in a much more meaningful way and also connect to others because people that are passionate tend to attract people that support them. So when you're passionate, you tend to radiate positive energy. And this tends to bring about positive people in your life because passionate people have passionate teams and tend to have passionate people also helping them. So it's a it's a virtual circle. So passionate generates more passion. And so it's a, it's a, it's a good way of uh, approaching business.
0: Yes, and I think you know if you're if you're a a senior leader listening to this or an entrepreneur with a business, you know who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want positive people who are emotionally resilient, who attract other positive positive people? Uh, You know that's that's what that's Uh, people are desperate for in their workforce. But to do that, right? What you're saying is you okay? But you've got to allow people to follow their passions, and that can be uh, potentially quite scary and challenging for people thinking about that.
1: I want to mention also very good point that you mentioned. I want to add to this point is that this is not only a state that is a, obviously a mental and emotional state, but it's also a state that can be perceived by people. Some author like Daniel Goleman, the famous author of the book Emotional Intelligence, observed that we have in our brains what we call mirror neurons. So this means that these mirror neurons help us perceive emotions that are radiated by others. So supposing that I'm very passionate and I feel love for this activity that I'm performing, I will be in a very positive emotional state. People around me will perceive this emotional state and they will tend to feel alike because because of these mirror neurons. And they will tend to also help me and support me and treat me in a loving way. So positive emotions are infectious. This means that you infect people with this positive emotion. The same happens with negative emotion. When you are grumpy, when you are angry, when you are sad and you have people around, these people... Tend to feel similar emotional state, and so because of these mirror neurons, and so passion is a very good state to not only to be driven toward your objective, but also to have people around helping you to connect to them and also doing things in a collective way toward your business purpose.
0: Right. Yeah. No, that's true. So, uh, and of course, which uh, companies can very easily create the opposite of that. Yes. Yeah. No. No, I get it and And I suppose you touched on it as, as well, but right you know you open the book and you talk about you know purpose and mission, which I think we've threaded into into some of these themes already but um is there anything more to say about that in this context its
1: it's important yeah. a meaningful purpose or a meaningful mission uh, according to research uh, tend to bring about much more uh, talented people people that also when the company has a meaningful purpose and this meaningful purpose is communicated to employees, and employees feel that they are contributing to this purpose, employees tend to go the extra mile, because they don't do this for the salary only, because many companies believe that employees have only economic needs. This is a very approach on employees, and is insufficient. But when the company has a meaningful mission, and employees perceive that this mission is important, and the company demonstrates how this employee is connected to this meaningful mission on on a daily basis, how they're contributing to employees feel more driven, more passionate, and they're more likely to go ahead and work over time in some cases in a very unconditional way, help the companies in ways that company might not expect. So employees try to support the company in a much more unconditional way. The opposite happens when uh, there is research on this also when the activities that are performed by employees are meaningless. This means that the They don't matter. They don't count. And employees, in some cases, they're feeling that they're repeating the same activities every day and they're wasting their time. These employees tend to get demotivated. They don't feel passion. They feel the opposite. They feel boredom, for example. And they tend to uh, work by the book. They tend to work the minimal time possible. And they look for, probably, if this is possible, they look for other job opportunities because imagine doing the same thing with uh, no meaning, meaningless uh, activities, this is not good. For the reason, many companies try to clearly demonstrate how the, the connection between small activities and the big mission, and also in some cases, when the employee contributed in a very overweight way to this mission, companies, in some cases, organize events to celebrate. This is a very good way to celebrate, for example, uh, giving employees, for example, a little diploma or thank you note, sign, uh, or a bonus, for employees to be recognized. Being loving with employees is also recognizing employees for their contribution. And this is as important as a good salary to be paid to employees, because if they pay a the good salary, but the employee feel that they do not count, they are not recognized, they're, they're, the company is not thankful with this employee for their contribution, this employee might feel like a bit left aside. They might feel that they're not part of the project. They don't feel connection or affinity with the, with this company and they might might look for other job opportunities.
0: All right. Yeah, no I get it. And where, where do you stand in terms of company purpose and individual purpose? You know, this yes. week is they don't this particular example of a company that they don't they don't really major on the company purpose. But the, what it's, they do, they're, ve- they're very uh, committed to allowing people to find and, I suppose, express their purpose at, as individuals within the
1: company. Yes, yes, very important. If we take some, some researcher, for example, Maslow observed that pursuing your purpose will be connected to the highest need, what we call self-realization, self-actualization. This is very important, and this implies that this is one of the highest needs in the hierarchy of human needs. So the best situation, the ideal situation will be when the purpose uh, that is pursued by a company is aligned with the individual purpose. This means that there are some uh, overlap or connection between these. This can be easily detected when employees is hired. So when employees is hired, uh, uh, the recruiter will check also what are the values because mission are connected to values. This means what is important for this company. and The personal mission is what is important for this individual. In the interviews, in the job interview, for example, when the employee is about to enter or not this company, the, the recruiter might ask, the interviewer might ask some question about the personal values. and A good interviewer will look for some match between the company's values and employees values. This will be a good match because the company will be benefiting from employees' contribution, and the employee will be contrib- benefiting from to to contribute for this company. So there will be a win-win agreement. But however, many companies do not discover this in the in the interview. But what the company can do if they didn't do so during the interview is to look also for activities where employees can enhance their natural capabilities or enhance their natural talents or can be trained in. Things that are good at, but they can be better at. So, this means that in some cases, companies company tries to allocate tasks that are more connected to these capabilities and talents. And in these cases, the employees are more likely to feel that they are contributing in a meaningful way, that they are obviously might be more connected to the personal purpose or personal mission. But the best way to approach this is every time that the company recruits an employee, what are your values? What are your main uh, beliefs about what is important or not and also explaining what are the main company's values uh, many companies have on their website and on their uh, reports they have value statement this means what are the most important aspect that is important for this company the quality for example environmentally friendliness or compassion or connection or care this is stated very clearly if the employees is not related to this value this is unlikely to be a match between the personal purpose in the case of employee and the company's purpose am i clear
0: yeah no i get you okay all right well um you know i think i think we've had um you know a a good uh a good taster of what you've got of what you've got to say in the book and and we've hit the the main topics here um the art of compassionate business so you know, I invite uh, listeners and viewers to, to go check it out. Uh, it's on Amazon, The Art of Compassionate Business by uh, Bruno Signaco. Um, Bruno, thank you for your time. I really appreciate you the conversation. Um,
1: thank you. Thank you for your invite. I, I like the question. Very insightful. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you for your time. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.